This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the quarantine ziggurat, now appropriately Hanukkah-decorated, deep below the Omaha metro area. It is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 600 of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. Nerds, my name is Matt Baum, and I'm head number one around here. Wait, I'm sorry, what number? Number one. No. Episode what? Oh, 600. Sorry. <laughs> Six, like, in a, in a row? You're the one that said, no, we're on like episode 990-something. <laughs> so I'm not taking it seriously anymore, and I barely know even how to count. Yeah, okay, fair enough. <laughs> I'm the Internet's Joe Patrick, your head at number two. Today on the show, we're back to new comic reviews for New Comic Wednesdays, November 25th and December 2nd. After that, it's up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to discuss our must-read picks for next week. And finally, our Nerd at the Movie segment returns to celebrate Sony losing their ex-movie rights with a review of the final installment, New Mutants. But before we blow out the candles on our 600th birthday, congratulations, Joe Patrick. You did it. I had nothing to do with it. Yeah, it's I... review time in the cigarette for the six. Hundreds time! <laughs> I drag your lifeless corpse around for 600 weeks. It's true. Here. It's true. This week's review pile includes four plucky ageless super kids, normal sized monsters, giant monsters, and endless winter, and bats kissing cats. Matt, since you're head number one this week, you get to start us off. This one's got it all, let me tell you. I'm going to start us off with I Walk With Monsters, number one, from Vault Comics. Here's your creative team. It's written by Paul Cornell with art by Sally Cantarino. JC and David hunt monsters, the kind of men who prey on the vulnerable. And sometimes David actually turns into a monster and then eats those men. The two are hunting for a shadowy figure from JC's past called the Important Man, who took her brother with the permission of her mysterious father, who we have established is also a cannibal. We talked about that a little bit before. Also may not actually be her father. Uh, yeah, could may, may not. I guess not. But she calls yeah. him father, but we don't know for certain. Every killer they hunt seems to lead them a little closer to the important man. And it's also unraveling the secrets of JC's past. This story made me realize how much I miss Cornell's writing. There's been plenty of Paul Cornell I haven't cared for. But there is a lot of really good Paul Cornell out there, too. The story is supernatural if it was written by David Fincher. A little more hard-edged, maybe. Sally Cantorino is a superstar artist in the making, though. She has a rough but detailed style that reminds me of early Becky Cloonan. We only get one panel of the monster that David turns into, but the design is amazing. It's all eyes and teeth and hair. Very cool. Deerbla Kelly's color makes the story just glow this was a very pleasant surprise from a veteran writer and a new artist with a really good setup a creepy mystery and two characters with very compelling history i'm giving this a buy it i really enjoyed it yeah no i liked it a lot uh you know like you said earlier uh, i was a little bit confused about like the dynamic between whoever was raising jc right whether it was her father or not i i and now that you bring that up i have a feeling it may turn out not to be dad yeah. Like she was kidnapped um, or something. Like, I, yeah, I feel like she was, you know, a victim as well. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I thought this was great. It was a, a really um, interesting examination of a, a pair of characters, obviously using their trauma to try to uh, do something good. Yeah. In a very maybe unhealthy way. Sally Cantorino's art is wonderful. And the, uh, panels of david in his monster form are breathtaking i thought this was a ton of fun uh, i'm giving this a bite as well it's it was really really good i'm trying to think back to all the cornell stuff that we liked and quite honestly the only thing that's coming back to me is that first in humans series that he did 
And then I recall him doing a lot of stuff that I didn't. Love. So you're thinking of Paul Jenkins. Oh, that's Paul uh, Jenkins. You're, you're, you're mixing Paul you're right. Cornell with Paul Jenkins, which is a classic mistake. <laughs> oh, they're both Pauls. They all look alike, right? Um, British I know Pauls. That Paul Corn- <laughs> Who can tell them apart? <laughs> British, British Pauls, yeah. I can't think of anything, for the life of me, I, I can't think of anything specific Paul Cornell has written. Right? I'm drawing a blank. Other than a run on Action Comics uh, immediately following Jeff Johns. Uh, where like Lex Luthor had the um, Lex Luthor had the Sinestro core ring. Yeah. And, and that like I liked that run a lot. Um, and like uh, Sandman's death showed up during it. Yeah, it was great. He's done a lot of uh, oh Saucer State. He wrote that over oh, at Saucer Dark Horse. Country. Yeah, it was yeah. Uh, the original Saucer title, Country Saucer and then Country. Saucer State. I think is what they call yeah, it, like yeah. the the not the graphic novel. Did a bunch of Doctor Who comics. I know he's done way more than that. Paul Cornell is good. Um, Paul Jenkins is the guy you're thinking of, though. But Paul Cornell, oh. I, I, I have enjoyed in the past. He did the Captain Britain and MI13 run that we love. Yes. Right. Yes. I love that there run. There we go. Yeah. It was fantastic. A uh, bunch of some Wildstorm stuff. He wrote Wolverine for a while. Yeah. Cornell's been around, man. He wrote uh, Dark X-Men. Yeah, you know, Dark X-Men. Okay, there we go. <laughs> classic. Classic. Oh, yeah. Dark X. Dork X-Men. Yeah. All right, Joe. Batter up. Right. Next. My first review is of the other history of the DC Universe, number one from DC slash Black Label. Academy Award winning screenwriter John Ridley returns to DC to reveal a different side of the DC Universe, one told from the perspective of traditionally underrepresented and marginalized characters. This first issue focuses on Black Lightning, and if you're expecting a traditional comic narrative, check those expectations at the door. (laughs) This story is presented as narrated prose, beautifully illustrated by Giuseppe Camincoli and Andrea Cucci, as it weaves through the life of Jefferson Pierce. This history plays fast and loose with DC continuity, Uh, Things don't exactly happen in the way you might remember them if you're a DC buff, but it doesn't really matter. Ridley invokes classic DC imagery in the story as it touches on a lot of moments Black Lightning either was or wasn't there for, but which impacted his life nevertheless. Classic moments like Black Lightning's invitation to join the Justice League of America are put under the microscope to great effect. The Other History of the DC Universe Number 1 is an enjoyable read that attempts to tackle a number of the racial issues inherent in superhero comics of the time. I'm not sure that it offers any satisfying answers necessarily, but Ridley and company put forth an excellent effort. I'm giving this a buy it. I don't think he was trying to give us answers with this. Yeah, he's not like trying to he's not trying to solve all the problems. No, and I think that's more to the point was like we looked, we were all told that the Justice League was here and they were going to solve our problems. Superman's here. He's going to solve all their problems. Wonder Woman's here. She's going to take care of all of our problems. But they were dealing with much larger things that fell through the cracks. Drugs, violence, street-level stuff. That's just not what the Justice League does. And I think Ridley did a really nice job here. In fact, to a degree that I didn't see coming because he kind of paints DC like this white bread history with a bunch of white folks doing white stuff. And well, even the and black really, guy, uh, like it really is like, it totally is. I'm just surprised you know, they like, let him kind of cut that deep. He even like goes this, after John Stewart and it's like John Stewart right. showed up to talk to us and he didn't even touch the ground floated. And like, you know, it came off as like conceited black dude trying to hang out with his white friends. And I was like, God damn. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it touches on the idea that like, a lot of these issues were attempted to be addressed by DC, but only with the broadest brush. Oh yeah. And he went uh, right you know, for like, it. like, uh, during the, uh, green lantern, green arrow series where, uh, John, uh, where Hal Jordan and, and, uh, Oliver queen are, are confronted with racism. Right. You know, it's like, okay. Yeah. You get it like a cookie cutter conclusion, but no real, solutions right and not to mention the fact like this is the first time those characters ever figured out that racism was a thing <laughs> really right. guys yeah, your right. inner city heroes okay no but i thought it was fantastic and i thought the art was really good it just wasn't what i thought it was going to be 
And I'm surprised they kind of let him bite this deep into the DC universe and just sort of be like, yeah, yeah. it's kind of bullshit for black people. And thought it was great again. Now, I was trying to think, what else did John Ridley do at DC? They kept saying he's returning to DC. Well, not a lot. He wrote a Batman Joker War thing. It was Batman the Joker War Zone number one. Yeah. Other than that, he's, he did a bunch of Wildstorm stuff. Yeah, he did the American Way. He's doing the he's doing the Future State book about the new Batman. Yeah, and he did the Razor's Edge, the Warblade miniseries with Simon Bisley. <laughs> he's also the Academy Award winning screenwriter of Twelve Years a Slave. Yeah, and so three, I'm not really sweating his career. And Three Kings. Neither am I. I loved that Warblade miniseries, and Bisley's art was incredible. I was just taken aback like oh yeah he was a wild storm guy <laughs> no huge buy it for me this was it, it just hit harder than i thought it would i than i thought dc would i thought this yeah. would be a lot cuter sort of like that marvel voices thing which was adorable it's just, you know it's just like you know uh, if you're if you're coming at it thinking it's going to be a traditional comic book it's not no it's, it's not just a, a it's a narrative is all it is it's just like a narrative read with pictures basically my next review is a lot more hard-hitting than Joe's. It's Kaiju Score, <laughs> number one, from Aftershock. This was written by James Patrick with art by Rem Brew. We talked about this book a while back in the Nerd News because the premise just sells itself. Marco has a plan to steal some very expensive and very unstealable art. And it's all and all it's gonna take is some cash, a crack team of experts with certain criminal talents, and a giant monster attack as cover. <laughs> Fans of heist movies like Steven Soderbergh's Oceans movies or the usual suspects are gonna feel right at home with this gang of losers on an impossible mission with a Godzilla-sized twist. The script is over-the-top, ego-driven criminal dialogue and bruise wild and cartoony art complements the story perfectly. I almost missed this one. I was going to review something else, but those jerks didn't send it to me after they said they were going to. I don't know what the deal is with that. Glad they didn't, because this was great. I'm giving it a buy it. Like, it's nothing new. It's a very simple crime setup, heist, whatever. Just so happens, on this world, there's giant monsters. <laughs> Yeah, no, I thought it was awesome. I, I, I love the idea of planning a heist, you know, basically around a natural disaster. Sure. Right? Yeah. And um, I, I thought it was totally awesome. Um, <laughs> What's that movie from the makers of, uh, it was the producers of Fast and the Furious where they like rob a armored car in a fucking hurricane <laughs> or something like that. Oh, I don't know, but I do remember I do remember a movie from the 90s that was about a bunch of dudes trying to rob an armored car during a, like a flood. Um and that was like like Morgan Freeman was in that and Ethan huh. Hawke. I it was like a I don't know. But yeah, uh Rem Brew's art. It's weird. But yeah. it's weird in a way that I really loved. Uh his his anatomy is super We we talked about this a few weeks ago about a different artist where the anatomy was like so exaggerated to the point of bizarre, but here Rem brew leans into it and it totally works. And I really loved the look of this comic. Um, I th like, it was, it was like a, 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 an ocean's 11 full of shittier characters uh, that yeah. are worse at their jobs. <laughs> And uh, uh, I, I, got, I got a huge kick out of this. I'm giving this a huge buy it. My favorite thing about it is uh, where uh, the main guy is like trying to convince them, look, there is no danger. The kaiju is not going to uh, is not going to mess with us if we don't mess with it. So we ha there's no danger of being next to the thing. Yeah. While it's just hanging out and everyone is like, hell no. I'm not, no, not even, no way, not even going to, uh, not even going to entertain the idea. And so the next thing, you know, he's on the roof snapping selfies 10 feet away from the shoulder of this monster. And he's like, look, I told you. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> okay. And I'm, that's how the story gets started. Um, I'm totally ashamed yeah. here. The movie I was thinking of now, if I told you it was from the producers of 
the director of one of the Fast and Furious movies, and it was about a heist during a hurricane. What would you guess it was called? Hurricane Heist. The movie is called The Hurricane Heist. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> so I'm an idiot. <laughs> Uh, no, uh, this is a huge buy it for me. It was lots of fun, and it's not going to be on everybody's radar, so please make the effort to check it out. Yeah, good stuff. Next up for me is Power Pack number one from Marvel. At long last, the Outlawed event moves forward at Marvel with the long-delayed Power Pack number one. This issue reunites us with the Power siblings with a cute introduction uh, to their history, courtesy of Katie, the youngest of the group. Squirrel Girl writer Ryan North scripts the issue with art by Nico Leon and colorist Rochelle Rosenberg. I won't lie. The entire issue feels pretty inconsequential as the team confronts an old enemy, but North has a good grasp of the family dynamic and and he keeps the action light and fun. Leon's art is dynamic and exciting. It's got an action-packed style. I'm not really sure if the heavy concept of policing teen vigilantes is really a great fit for a lighthearted concept like Power Pack, but I did really enjoy this issue, and I'm giving it a buy it. I don't feel anything for Power Pack. They do nothing for me. (laughs) I get it. I don't understand why Marvel keeps trying to bring the Power Pack back. First of all, the name is really stupid, and it is absolutely a product of the 80s. There's, it has no cachet anymore. I don't know why we need to do this. This was fine. It was, it was perfectly well-written. I don't have any problems with the script or anything like that, but these kids haven't grown up at all. They're still kids. They've been kids since they first popped up in 1986. Now it's an outlawed tie-in. Outlawed got kind of lost in the COVID-19 BS, which is too bad because outlawed has been fun. I'm only giving this a skim it because it feels like, it was just going to be a tie-in to an event that got screwed up, and now it feels like it has even less weight. So skim it from me. Whatever. You don't need it. You a hater. Here's one you do need. The King in Black, number one from Marvel. It's your creative team. It's written by Donnie Cates with art by Ryan Stegman. Null, the god of the symbiotes, finally makes his landfall on Earth, and he brings some pretty huge cosmic surprises with him. I gotta say... Didn't see that coming. So (laughs) luckily the Avengers and the X-Men show up to help repel an army of symbiote dragons, but based on Null's surprise weapon, it doesn't look like they're going to be enough. Now I said it last week when I picked this as one of my must read picks, this one is for all the marbles. And if it's not this creative team's swan song and probably exit on Venom, I have no idea what they plan to do next. Stegman is at his best here he's amazing with some help from inker jp mayer and frank martin on colors this comic just looks amazing and the action builds with every page kate does a fantastic job with a massive cast and like any good event this one starts with the good guys losing i cannot wait to see where this goes now i want to just build on something for a minute here oftentimes where we have an event that's centered around one character and they want to bring in a bunch of other characters they're just there doing something like would you the living lightning was the character that i asked you like who is this guy because he's in a panel just like shooting lightning or whatever and that can be true when you bring in the avengers and the x-men too but i thought that kate's did a really nice job giving us some kind of personal avengers moments and like personal x-men moments like between professor x acting like a weirdo like he's in the hickman books and storm and stuff like that i was really impressed with this it's completely ridiculous it's beyond ridiculous. The what happens on like the second to last page by any other writer, I would just say, okay, that's so stupid. I don't even know what to think about it, but I loved it. I'm giving it a buy it. It's like that thing that yes. I used to complain about where like Broxton, Oklahoma, you know, has Asgard floating above it and none of the other heroes seem to notice or talk about it or anything. Well, something even bigger than that happens here. And I was fine with it. Yeah. I mean, I don't really know what's going to happen. Uh, I, I, like, oh, I mean, okay. I do know what's going to happen. Obviously every, everything's going to be fine in the end. No, this but, is the, this is the end of the earth. This is it. Yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, I wish I could but go back really, to that fanboy, honestly, where I would read this and just be like, oh, no, <laughs> like, 
They yeah. killed Wolverine. They killed Spider-Man. They killed Captain America. <laughs> that's the thing about events like this. Uh, you know, like I, there's always that like cynical part of me that's like, okay, right. well, this isn't going to stick. But I, I really did enjoy the ride. And I will, I will give credit to Donnie Cates uh, and Ryan Stegman for that. They create a really great ride. I think that's that's all you really can do with something like this. It's the same with Hickman. It's the same with Hickman's yeah. X-Men. You know, you like it's like I don't expect Hickman's X-Men to be the status quo forever. Of course not. It is for now. But and it's you a enjoy fun the ride, ride while it lasts. And like and quite honestly, that's comics, baby. That's not just comics, that's wrestling. That's even sports, you know, like sure. your team's doing right. really well. It's not going to last forever. Sooner or later, these guys are going to get traded, retire, whatever. Things are going to change. Enjoy it while it's there. But no, like this was a totally fun ride. The art is brilliant. Ryan Stegman. Ryan Stegman. He is so good. I'm going to talk about another artist in a minute here, but that does the same thing. But he's one of those guys where it's just like when he came on the scene, we all went, that guy's going to be really good. And then yeah. he got really good. and then. He got better. And it's very rare that you see an artist like at the top of their game who could just stay right there and you'd be fine. Like an Art Adams. Art Adams got to a level, hit it, and perfect. Don't need to do anything else, Art. You got it, man. But like somebody like Ryan Stegman could have just stopped and he didn't. He took it yeah. up like another notch and got even better. It's crazy. Yeah. No, this is a huge buy it for me. I don't expect a single thing to stick, uh, yeah. uh, but it's fine. It's like a heavy metal romp. Uh, it, you know what? It's a heavy metal romp through the Marvel universe. That's a much more fun romp than anything DC's doing. That's metal related. Totally agree. Totally. agree. Uh, it's a huge buy it. We seem to have a theme going here with going on rides and events, but uh, you're up for the next fun little winter wonderland ride we went on <laughs> yeah uh so my next review is of justice league endless winter number one from dc this issue kicks off an event in air quotes <laughs> yeah <laughs> that dc has done a bare minimum to promote in fact the idea that it's coming out in the midst of the death metal slash future state mess is a complete puzzler to well, me. That, let's there's a there's a whole nother level of that that includes black label as well that you could throw in here. That is just like, but this is not a black label comic. I know it's not, but what I'm saying is we're going to talk about a comic book that spins directly out of regular DC continuity into black label continuity next. So yeah, DC right. continuity as it is, I just don't even know if it exists. I don't sure, know if it's a sure. thing anymore, quite honestly. Uh, all of that said, Endless Winter delivers the kind of low stakes, high adventure, superhero adventure that I've kind of been missing in the larger DC universe. There's an ancient evil that gets released. It's tied to one of our heroes. It has all the markings of a classic crossover. It's going to take place. Uh, through the, the main books like Flash, Justice League, Superman, whatever. There is an unusual through line of the Flash trying to figure out his work-life balance that doesn't really go anywhere. Andy Lanning and Ron Mars deliver a satisfying superhero adventure with great art by Howard Porter. You know, for as, as toothless as it is as an event, Endless Winter was a surprisingly fun read sandwiched into the middle of several other distracting things going on at dc and i'm giving it a buy it yeah it, that's where i was at like when i first started this i was just like what is this what is going on when is this is this happening now <laughs> it, like does this have anything to do with death metal or is this before or is it way after like and that's not the fault of the story because like you said the story is just fun and if this were a story that we're running in justice league right now and i was reading justice league monthly i'd be perfectly happy with it I would say this is a great Justice League story. Oh, look, Howard Porter's drawing it. And this art kicks ass. I'm totally in. And I hope we don't sound like old crybabies. Like, oh, I'm an old man and I just want the Justice League to be what it was when I loved it in the 90s. But this was good comic booking. And this was a Justice League story I could follow. And this was a Justice League story that looked really good. And the characters, you know, 
acted like the characters as I recognize them. And I really liked it. I'm giving this a buy it. I just don't know what the hell it is or when it takes place. Sure. Like, I mean, I mean, it takes place in the regular books. I, this is a this is a crossover happening in the regular books that are currently being published. And I know you're saying that out loud, but still reading it, I was like, No, I get it. <laughs> and, and, like, so where I come down on it is this. If you are a fan and you look at death metal, you look at uh whatever's going on in a black label with Batman Catwoman or whatever. And then you look at what's going on in the main books, like with endless winter and you're scared shitless of future state. <laughs> it, but uh, like, if it's perfectly fine. If you look at all three of those disparate elements and say, Oh yeah, they're all good. I like them all. But you have to admit that the planning. Yeah. The timing. It, it's awful. It makes no sense. No, it's awful. And this is going to get buried. This is going to get totally buried. right there. And there's no way that it can't because people are going to look at it and go, well, wait a minute. There's 14 death metal books on the stand. So that's obviously important. You know, yeah. like I, I'm reading Batman. I'm reading Superman. Those are obviously important and future states. So this must just be an extra bullshit. I'm going to ignore it. That's what it looks like. And like, I can't like with given, given the way like we read comics personally, you and I for the show, I can't actually guarantee that I will read part two of this. Uh, fair enough. Yeah. I, I'm going to forget. But There's too much going on. Exactly. I'll forget. But yeah, it, it's just like, I, I don't understand what DC is doing with the planning of these books. I think I do. And we should talk about it this week on cover to cover. But I think it is the opposite of the company wide crossover. Where they like, all right, you got crossover fatigue? No problem. No more crossovers. And when we say no more crossovers, we mean all crossovers all the time that are completely disconnected, that are happening everywhere. So it's not a company-wide crossover. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, sure. Yeah, just read the crossover you want. Yeah, there you go, kid. Speaking of funky timelines, and when does this take place? I read Batman Catwoman, number one. From DC. Oh, <laughs> it's also from Black Label now. Which Surprise. I looked. This was not a thing. They did not say this was going to be a Black Label book. This was, Not at first. This no. was billed as the continuation of Tom King's Batman run. It's going to get its right. own miniseries, Batman Catwoman. 12 issues. There you go. And it is a year late. It's a year late. And... It's not what they told us it was going to be. The long um, no, I think it is. Is I think it, it is? Is it really? Because we were told yeah. this is going to be the marriage story at first. I I knew that we knew for a while that it was going to be like jumping around in time and stuff. I mean, we knew that. Okay, fine. The long-awaited Tom King, and I say awaited with a question mark. Tom King Bat and Cat book is here. And now, like I said, it's a black label book, which means plans for Batman changed drastically towards the end of King's Batman run. We all knew the Phantasm from the animated Batman movie, Mask of the Phantasm, would be the villain of the story, but the Sewer King makes an appearance too. And he might be Catwoman's mentor now, or it might not count. And I only, don't even know if the Sewer King was a character it, before this. He was, he was a character in the cartoons only he had a brief appearance in new 52 where he was killed by kite man <laughs> i looked it up because i was like is this a thing <laughs> the story bounces between flash forwards to an aging selena visiting an old friend in quotes and then back to some part of batman and catwoman's relationship but the black labeling of the story if you will really muddles any and all continuity which i think I can legit bitch about this time as this story is supposed to be a direct continuation of King's Batman run. Clayman is another one of those artists like we just talked about that is just amazingly talented and seems to find a whole new gear that lifts his talent to even greater heights. This book is more than beautiful. It is stunning. And it works very well for King's decompressed script, but I don't know how to review this first issue. I really don't. There's so many odd choices in the story from bringing animated villains into the comics 
to the reveal at the end, and even how some of the well-known characters around today are are designed. Like, this is the best-looking <laughs> yes. Joker I've ever seen. <laughs> He's the, hot. He's at, hot, baby. Right. At the end, I found myself with so many questions as to what I was reading, and is the answer just to stop asking and read it? I don't know. I'm giving this a skim it because I have to see where it goes. The art is exceptional and the story is good. I just don't know what this is. I don't I see. I don't flummoxed. know that I agree. That the, I don't know that I agree that the story is good. Like if you asked me, what is the story of Batman Catwoman? Number one, I would tell you, I don't know. I, I don't either, but there were parts of it that are well-written that looked really good that are doing you know, cool things with the characters and stuff when they're fighting the sewer King and the like, that was awesome. That looked great. There's really yeah, good know, Batman part moments of it, here. You know, that whole part of it, you know, it's like a Fagin. Um, yeah. I mean like there's Oliver, Oliver twist, uh, Fagin from Oliver twist kind of thing where it's like, I trained you. How dare you, you, you urchin, how dare you betray me? But that you is know, decidedly like, I get it. not part of Selena Kyle's history in the DC universe. Sure. So, uh, but again, that's fine. Like if if Tom King is adding that layer, I like fine. I that that doesn't really change the character of Catwoman. No, it doesn't. It's just um, a th it's another thing that makes me go, "Well, wait a minute. What is this? Does it count? Is this a totally different story? Does this not spin out of his Batman run <laughs> where this where this stuff happened that led to this story? That's the other Like see, I don't I, I again, I don't really understand why that would make you doubt why it counts any more than if you were reading the main Batman title and all of a sudden Gotham city gets taken over by Bane and nobody mentions it. Well, sure. But I mean like that's very Batman. That's a very Batman thing to do. I get that. Whatever. Yeah. All right. I'm just saying um, it's this whole black label, death metal, endless winter. When does this take place? What am I reading? Is this part of that story that you told me it was from, or is it not? I don't know. And, you know, a part of that, I think, is our failing as um, as traditional comic fans, you know, like the the uh, it's 50 50. Part of it is our family. Yeah, I was going to say, hold in, on like, in being obsessed about whether or not this counts in some way. Sure. But DC has also said black labels a place where they want to tell stories that are unmoored from continuity. They unless could, they want them to be. Yeah, and that's just it. But they never said unless we want them to be and they are. <laughs> like, right. And they're like, supposed to be they, like, like they did they did say that like black label stuff can be in continuity if it needs to be. I suppose. But it's But also they also like, don't say, "Oh, hey, this black label story is in continuity." Right. And it's supposed like I thought it was supposed to be this adult thing. There's really nothing like adult in nature here that I wouldn't let it No, no, read. not at all. I mean, uh like uh, when I when I when I read this the other day, and I texted you about it, uh, when I found out it was a black label, I was more annoyed than anything else. Th that's where I was because I was like, God, was like, what the f why? What does it what mean? What the fuck? Right? Like, yeah. Like, why can't you do this? Just make it a DC book. It's not like again, Batman's dick isn't here. <laughs> so what's the problem? <laughs> sure. And like, you, you, if you want to tell me it's an alternate future world where Selena, uh, Selena Kyle grows old without Batman or whatever, you know, I'm not going to say any spoilers, but uh, like, that's fine. Like, none of that really matters. DC books are always telling stories about futures that may or may not happen. Sure. But they also are touching on stuff in the past that we know did not happen. Right. <laughs> uh, I, so I, I'll say this. The story is practically non-existent it makes no sense the disparate parts don't really connect as as well written as they are individually it doesn't really make sense as as a whole um clayman clayman is a phenomenal artist i yeah. think he gets better with every new project he does he also has this habit of really leaning towards objectifying sexy female characters and there is one moment in this comic book that took me right out of it where Catwoman is like sp sprawling across the bed, crawling towards Bruce Wayne in her underpants. Well, she's trying she's to like, they're about to have sex, dude. Yep. Nope. I get it, man. But like, that's it's what adults very, do. <laughs> no, no, come on. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, 
I don't I, have a, see, I don't have a problem with that because they're in a romantic moment. If she's doing it in a bank or it something. Wasn't a, it like, wasn't a romantic moment, though. It wasn't a romantic moment. She though. snuck in the house it's, to have sex with her booby. <laughs> it's the same thing. It's the same thing that he did in Heroes in Crisis, where it's like all of a sudden, here's a picture of Lois Lane in her panties for no reason. No, I will give you, know, you it's just like, that was not a romantic moment. No, that was Lois Lane at home no. in her panties. And maybe that doesn't belong, but I had no problem with like her breaking into Wayne Manor to have sex with Bruce late at night. That's what they were getting ready to do. So she shows up all sexy and gets sexy on him. I don't have a problem I with think, that. I think there's a difference between portraying sexy characters and drawing female characters in a way that is only serving like the male gaze. Bruce is also shirtless there too, though. I mean, no, that doesn't mean it. No, that's not a valid argument. The, the superheroic ideal of a buff dude is not the same thing as a lady in her bra and panties. No, who's it's not about to have sex with her boyfriend. Would you want her to show up in a tuxedo? <laughs> yep. I would have rather she showed up in a tuxedo. That's yes. Ridiculous. Correct. You sound like a Puritan right now. My All God. right. Well, fine. <laughs> Uh, you can disagree if you want, but I know that uh, I know that I'm right. It's okay. Okay, uh, I'm I'm giving this a skim it because uh, I don't understand anything about it. <laughs> it, it was beyond it. decompressed. I will say that it's one thing to it, say it, this is a decompressed story. You know, it's the art guides things, and we thought this was well beyond that. I don't know when it's happening, where it's happening, or why it's happening. So. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I I read this and I went what. I don't, what? Yeah. And then I moved on. <laughs> Let's move on to a comic that's maybe a little too straightforward. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> Our final review of the week goes to The Union, number one from Marvel, which is an odd little comic. Uh, it's long delayed due to the pandemic. It also has the thankless task of being a king in black tie-in uh, ostensibly, this issue is supposed to introduce Britain's new superhero team, led by a group of all new characters. Instead, we get a very brief intro to these new characters with the majority of the focus on Union Jack, who I guess isn't even supposed to be there. I am intrigued by what little we saw of these new members, especially Kelpie and Snakes. Their designs are cool. Their powers are cool. Uh, snakes is very intimidating his word balloons are like diamond shaped thought balloons it's yeah. very different I, I really liked it uh but the actual like as an intro it's basically non-existent they needed a better intro uh, everything about this is very awkward and then there is a sudden king and black tie-in and there's no opportunity to think about anything else it's a shame because I really love the work of writer Paul Grist and he does get a fun little uh, intro scene where he gets to draw it as well. Yeah. Featuring Britannia. The art by uh, main artist Andrea DeVito is fantastic. Unfortunately, the union number one is bogged down by both the expectations of introducing a new team and connecting to a big event. And it falls short of both. I have to give it a skim it. Yeah, I just didn't know what this was. Um, I don't love the characters' names. And, like, the best introduction you get is a picture with four names under it. And two of the names are Kelpie and Snakes. And I thought to myself, well, that can't be the hero's name. So I wonder what those four words mean. And this was just odd. And it was oddly timed. All of the King in Black tie-ins that are coming out have been panned pretty bad by both readers and retailers because they tie in in the loosest of sense whatsoever. And it sure felt tacked on, felt so tacked on to the end of this. Like, well, we got to end it somehow. I don't know if Paul Grist had something else set up and they redid it or what, but I, this didn't do anything for me. This is not going to be around in 10 issues. So I don't think you need to waste your money on it. I'll give it a skim it because I like Paul Grist and the art wasn't bad. But other yeah, like than it's like, not a bad comic. It's no, just, it, it's just there's too many good comics you could be reading to reach for Union. So I'm giving it a skim it at best. Yeah. And yeah, this one is not long for this world. Let's be honest. It's not going to be around. It's just like uh, my main takeaway from this was that, boy, this has potential. It's a shame that this is how they chose to do it. Yeah. 
All right, Matt Bomb, which book wins it for this week? Which of these comics tickle your pickle more than any other? I am going to go with I Walk With Monsters, honestly. I There was some big slam-bang stuff that happened this week. The other history of the DC Universe really was cool, but I don't know that I could suggest that to a lot of comic readers just because it is so different in nature as to what it is. It's an important book, very well written, but it's also kind of expensive, and not everybody's into that kind of a jam. I will say... I Walk With Monsters was the biggest surprise I had this week. I thought it was the most interesting mystery that was presented, and I thought the art was just awesome. I'm giving it my book of the week. You know what? I'm giving mine to Kaiju score. It was, yeah, uh, no, that was a close second for me. My One of my favorite genres, be it you know movies or TV or whatever, is a heist. Oh, sure. I love, I love a heist story. And it's, I especially love it when there are a bunch of different characters. Some of them are weirdos. Some of them are fuck-ups. This had it all for me, plus the added wrinkle of them like doing it in uh, uh, against the backdrop of a kaiju monster invasion. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's so much fun. Uh, Rembrew's art is a blast to look at. Uh, I, I, lo- I loved I Walk With Monsters, number one. There were some things about the script, though, about the actual story that left me a little bit confused. Uh, which we talked about, uh, but um, you're not that smart Kaiju's... of a guy. That's not your fault. You know, that's okay. okay. You're not that smart of a guy. It's not your fault. Yeah, you know. It's okay, I get. <laughs> it. I do my. I do my best. Yeah. God, don't make no junk, Joe. Uh, but when you compared it to like a, a, a good Steven Soderbergh Ocean's Eleven type movie or The Usual Suspects, I was like, yeah, it was exactly my jam, uh, and it was my book of the week. It's funny because there was so much huge slam bang superhero shit that we read and also like important you know like pointing out the racism superheroes like in the and we're like you know what these two like wacky premises (laughs) that's what did it for me this week yeah i mean and let's like like, that's not to take anything away from like pleasant surprises like endless winter which i also loved yeah spitch spurch that does it for reviews this week, and spitch, spurch, is a sound a cat makes as it claws its way into a man's belly, as seen Blech. in the pages of Hex Wives, number six. Gross! This onomatopoeia of the week was submitted by Shane Carr via the Twitter. He's a gross dude, but we love him. If you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week, you can post it to any of our social media accounts or send an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Better yet, call us, 402. 819-4894. Leave a message and make the noise. Just tell us your name so we know who it is, what is making the noise, and what comic it's coming from, and we'll play you doing it, humiliating yourself on the show. It'll be great. That is it for reviews, and now it's time to head up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum where we are reviewing and regretting our drunken Cyber Monday purchases. I got you the complete Fish Police Absolute Edition for Christmas. Yes. (laughs) And ruminating about our must-read picks for next week, Matt Baum, tell these nerds what they should be reading. Next week, you should be reading Homesick Pilots, number one from Image. It's written by Dan Waters with art by Casper Widgengard. There's a better way to say that. I know there is. Wingard. Sure. 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. The team behind Limbo, Dan Waters, who wrote Lucifer and Coffinbound, and Casper Wingard, who worked on Star Wars and Peter Cannon Thunderbolt, launch a brand new ongoing series! In the summer of 1994, a haunted house walks across California. Inside is Amy with an eye, lead singer of a high school punk band who's been missing for weeks. How did she get there? And what do these ghosts want? Expect three chord songs and big bloody action. That's Power Rangers meets The Shining. Parentheses. Yes, really. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> These guys are great. And when they get together, they make really good comics. And this sounds weird as hell. And the 90s, punk rock 90s, that's my wheelhouse, man. I'm totally in. Let's see what we got. Yeah, Casper Wingard is great. He He's is a fantastic. phenomenal artist. 
My pick for next week is S Word number one from Marvel Comics, written by Al Ewing with art by Valerio Skeedy. It's 48 pages for $4.99, and here is your solicit. One giant leap for mutant kind. The mutant nation of Krakoa has quickly become a major force on the world stage, but why stop there? Krakoa has relaunched SWORD, the sentient world observation and response directorate, a fully independent organization dealing with all things extraterrestrial on behalf of all of Earth. Al Ewing and Valerio Skitty, the team behind Empire, bring us the tale of mutant kind looking to do for the galaxy what Krakoa did for the planet. Son of a... Uh, so we've been waiting for this one for a while, and it's been a big kind of uh, thing in the background of the X books, and I am excited for Al Ewing to get his chance uh, to be a major directing force in the X-Men universe. I don't know that the sword book is going to be a major directing force in the X-Men universe. With that said... Well, it's got Magneto in it. I, I mean, know. it's Look, I know, but you still... You're trying to sell a book that doesn't have Wolverine on the cover. That could be tough. We'll see. I love Al Ewing, and I love the idea of Al Ewing writing X stuff, and Al Ewing has already shown us that he can write shit in space. Not a problem. And I'm all for it. We love it when the X-Men go to space. Love this team. Curious to see what they do with it. Love Valerio Shitty. That his art has is not his name. I'm, that's how and you know that. That's what I'm gonna call him. S e h i t d i. Dude is shitty. What do you want from me? All right. <laughs> he is fantastic, and this looks like a ton of fun. I'm still having fun with the X books. Screw you, haters. Don't care what you think. I do care what you think. I need your approval. But I'm excited for this one. The THN trade of the week goes to Monster on the Shelf Expanded Edition trade paperback. It's from IDW Top Shelf. Written and drawn by Rob Harrell. It's 200 pages, and it's 19.99. Here is your solicit. Can a depressed monster learn how to be a hero? Maybe, with a little help. In a fantastical 1860s England, every quiet little township is terrorized by a ferocious monster, much to the townsfolk delight. Each town's unique monster is a source of local pride, not to mention tourism. It kind of sounds like Japan. Each town, that is, except for one. Unfortunately, for the people of Stoker-on-Avon, their monster isn't quite as impressive. In fact, he's a little down in the dumps. Kind of like me. Can the morose Rayburn get a monstrous makeover and become a proper horror? It's up to the eccentric Dr. Charles Wilkie and plucky street urchin Timothy to get him up to snuff before a greater threat turns the whole town to kidling. Monsters of all ages are sure to enjoy this tale about life's challenges, the power of friendship, and creative redemption. It's packed with epic battles and plenty of wild beasts. Prepare for the release of the 2021 film Rumble with this expanded edition of the beloved graphic novel that inspired it. Now featuring a 10-page epilogue. This sounds adorable. It is adorable. Absolutely the art, adorable. The art by, uh, what's his name? I don't know. Rob Harrell is great. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I looked. I looked this up. Uh, it, it, there's a movie coming out called Rumble. That's basically the same premise. So okay. they like uh, they adapt. They're adapting this uh, as an animated movie next year, and uh, it's it's so cute and fun, and uh, it it just looks like a good time. I'm down. Totally down. Now that you know what we're reading next week, want to hear about what you are excited to read, or what you guys think we should be reading, or you can send us comics you want us to review. Did you make some comics? Shoot them to us. Let's let's take a look at them, all right? We're not going to pull any punches, though, sucker, unless you pack those envelopes with cash. But please be sure to add these comics to your pull list so you can play along and do your local comic shop a favor, too. <laughs> Remember three years ago when we first mentioned the New Mutants movie? It feels like 10. <laughs> yeah, it may have been. Uh, well, it finally came to be, and Matt even lost a nerd bet because it did get a theater release, albeit during a global pandemic, so nobody went to see it. While many of you probably chose to skip the final chapter in Fox's X movie franchise, Matt and I watched it 
so you didn't have to. It's time for Nerd at the Movies, the new Mutants edition. And they have saved the aisle seats just for us. We're like Siskel and Ebert. Better look at Yeah, we This was written and directed by Josh Boone, who's famous for The Fault in Our Stars, and he's also working on the Stan oh series. Oh boy, that movie made my wife cry. Oh boy. He's also working on the Stan series for the CBS app because they don't just do Star Trek. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 all episodes of The Good Wife and huh. Star Trek spinoffs. New Mutants is the story of five young mutants just discovering their abilities while held in a secret facility against their will. Fight to escape. What? This is directly from the tagline. Against their will, comma, fight to escape their past sins and save themselves. No, you you read that with a completely wrong cadence. New Mutants is the story of five young mutants just discovering, just their, discovering, their, discovering, their, abilities just discovering their abilities while held in a secret facility against their will. Oh, okay. It still it. doesn't make sense. Take the commas out. New Mutants is the story of five young mutants fight to escape their past sins and save themselves. This is the tagline from IMDb. <laughs> so All right, fine. I, nobody paid attention to this movie. <laughs> there were a lot of theories about what was going to happen in this movie. We knew it was a, a horror film. It was being billed as a horror film. <laughs> so, I'll say yeah, okay, that. Sort of. Yeah. Right. It was billed as a horror film. It looked very much like there were some psychological things going on here. There were theories that, like, the... Uh, why can't I say his name? The Shadow King was involved or perhaps uh, one of the other like scary telepaths has them all trapped somewhere and they don't remember who they are and their fears are being used against them. And I will say all the theories that I read online were way better than the actual story that we got. Okay. All right. Um, l- all right. We're just going to rip this bandaid off right now. I don't agree with that. That's fine. I, I th- I think the actual underlying premise of where they are and what's being done to them is pretty cool. Really? Yes. Really? Uh, you like yes. that the New Mutants were brought together this way, not discovered by Charles Xavier and like put together a team that way. You like that this Xavier. is how they got together. This is you like this. Each one no, of them look. murdered somebody. And that's, they all tell the story, well, how'd you get, what happened? When you discover your powers, what happened? Oh, I murdered someone. Oh, that's terrible. How did you get yours? Well, I murdered someone too. Oh, really? What about you? Like, oh, I murdered 15 Slenderman that used to rape me. Like, and seriously, like, everybody Look, you- comes from this super, like, dark past. And they're trapped in an asylum that's really just, like, the back lot gothica set that can also be turned into an old-timey hospital if we need all to. Right. <laughs> so all right we're i'm just gonna say this right now for the listeners we are going full spoilers because mm-hmm. there's no other way to do it no it's been out for a little bit and i don't think anybody really cares if you went into this movie expecting a traditional introduction to the new mutants you have not been paying attention to anything fox has done with the x-men for the last 20 years no and i did not say that that's what i expected I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying there's an so, easy way. Like if you're judging it based on the fact that it is not the traditional assemblage of the new mutants, then you're doing the movie a disservice. Okay, let me tear this band-aid off. I'm not judging it based on that. I just would have liked that better than what we got. And you said, Oh, you're cool with the new mutants being brought together this way? Yes, I am. In the context of the movies, yes, I am. These characters are are tragic characters because when their powers manifested it led to the uh, the 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 death of others, mm-hmm. which is not an, a new story when it comes to any X character. No, it's not. They were experimented on. They were tortured by Doctor Celia Reyes. Uh, again, I don't know why you said it that way. Because who cares? Because once Cecilia again, Celia Reyes is not a character that matters in the X Men. Exactly. Because once again. There's plenty of bad guys they could have stuck in there, even bad guys that project force fields, but they just picked the name, which further shows Sony has made the choice to randomly pluck a name out of X history and put it in the movie. So nerds will be like, I know that name. Why? But why is that a problem? Like, uh, I don't understand why you're pointing that out as a problem. That's not a problem. Why can't you just be some generic doctor? Cecilia Reyes is a nothing character in the span of the X-Men universe in comics. Fine, but you agree that she was a good guy and she was a doctor. Right. In this, yes, she's she a was bad a guy. guy she was a doctor working for the 
Essex Corporation, which refers... And that's, all right, that's the point I was trying to get to. So they imply heavily during the first half of the movie that she is working for Professor X. Well, the and kids... she's trying to... Yeah, the kids kind of do, and... And she's trying to rehabilitate these characters so that they can go to Xavier's school for gifted youngsters and become X-Men. But what's revealed eventually is that no... They are actually uh, being held captive by the Essex Corporation, which if you know anything about the X-Men, you know that uh, Nathaniel Essex is Mr. Sinister. So what does that reveal do to you for you when it's just on a computer screen and there is no Mr. Sinister and there's no reference to anything else and the only bad character is Celia Reyes? What it says to me is that they obviously had a plan to do more and they couldn't because of the sale to Sony. But they knew that or, when they started this movie. Or they Disney, already knew rather. that was coming. Three years ago, I don't know. When, yeah. when New Mutants when New Mutants started, I don't think they knew that the X-Men, that Fox's X-Men universe was coming to an end. They knew this deal was up. I'm just saying, the re- I don't think they again, did. Again, the story didn't do much for me at all. It was a bunch of angsty kids. Ileana's Russian accent was the worst. It was I totally so agree. bad. Yes, it was very bad. And Sam's Kentucky accent also irked me. And I even called just our friend I, Justin. I did not. I was not bothered by Sam's. And Kentucky I said, accent. Justin, is this what people sound like from Kentucky? And he said, that guy sounds like an undead Civil War soldier. <laughs> so that might be fair, but that part of it didn't distract me. Regardless, but Ileana, I didn't. Ileana's accent actually sounded like she was faking. Oh my god! I didn't find any of the characters likable. I thought Danny's powers didn't make any sense. Like, and when they reveal what Danny's powers are, which is like, she's Mirage, right? No. Dr. Reyes says her power is to make you relive your most terrifying memory over and over again until it kills you. What does no, that? She brings, she brings your worst night. She brings your worst memories to life. That, that is like Mirage. That was her power. Mirage. Mirage made mirages. She didn't bring your mercy. She could play on your fears and stuff like that, but they weren't real. That's godlike power. That's Franklin Richards creating alternate universes and, and heroes out of nothing like power. The Slender Man, when he shows up in the movie, which is so obviously the internet meme, the Slender but Man. It's not the Slender Man. He, I get it. If it's he's, obviously an allegory for whoever abused Ileana. Fine. Looks exactly like the Slender Man. There's a bunch of them, and not just Ileana can see them, they're attacking everybody. So Danny, like, physically manifest stuff now and like yeah yeah i mean what what was that what was the demon bear matt like they had a whole storyline in the comics about the demon bear right tied to danny moonstar the demon bear was not just a fake threat no it was a demon she didn't make it the demon bear was a demon that fucked with indians for years and years and years and years long time in this danny made the demon bear and in the end she tames the demon bear by going settle down take it easy and the demon bear goes, <laughs> and then, and not to mention the fact there's a straight up like deep blue sea moment where the demon bear busts through the wall and eats Celia Reyes and throws her around. Like, come on. It's like, this wasn't, even, right. it wasn't even terrible. It was just bad. It was mess. See, right, it like, was poorly the, thought out. It couldn't the things decide. That you're complaining about the things that you're complaining about, the character stuff and the changes they made. Like, these are not things that bothered me. These are not the offensive parts of the movie. The execution of the, mo- of the, of the story, the execution of, like, the timeline of events, like, yeah, these things are rough. Yeah, really um, rough. I, I thought, like, they, they, they paid the barest amount of lip service to the fact that Ileana, that Limbo was an actual real place. Right. And, like... She has a puppet that she carries around with her that's actually a real dragon and stuff. That's like, actually Lockheed, yeah. What is going uh, on? It, it, and like these things, these things needed more room to breathe if they were gonna go if they were gonna take this swing. That's what I'm and saying. They didn't. They like and obviously this was a product of reshoot after reshoot and rewrite after rewrite. Yes. And they couldn't decide. But, like, the, the, is but a- the idea of like but the idea of Danny Moonstar's powers in the films being a physical threat and not just a mental one that like, that's not, that's not a point of contention to me. I just didn't think it made any sense. I I just didn't think it made any sense to me. That's my main problem with how they translated the characters. Okay. My problem with the film was it couldn't decide, do I want to be a horror movie? Do I want to be an angsty teen movie? Do I want to be some kind of love story? 
am I an action adventure, you know, mutant movie or am I a thriller? It couldn't decide on any of this stuff. So they yes, went I for agree the with that. barest, easiest script they could come up with. We barely scratched the surface on any of the characters. So not only were they unlikable, you never even got a chance to like them because they just, nobody got enough screen time to do anything. I will say this. I did like, I did like, um, Maisie Williams as Wolvesbane. She was I the thought, best well, in the movie. I think Wolvesbane was probably the best developed of the, of the characters. And that's due to her strength as an actor. Right. De- she definitely did a lot with very little. I did not like the way she looked as a werewolf at all. <laughs> she still looked pretty adorable, you know? <laughs> like, like they didn't really go all in on the like midway transition where not she's a werewolf no. and not a wolf wolf. She literally went from like, I'm Maisie Williams. I'm a little girl with short hair to my hair is a little longer. I have some hair on my neck. And my fingernails are long. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and then like, I'm a dog. Yeah. I, and uh, like, yeah. I, I will say like, uh, cannonball they did a pretty good job with like what his powers would look like and stuff i didn't understand why he was getting hurt when he's doing it and and shit like that and why well, didn't that was him? something that was obviously a change you know like yeah. in the comics cannonball is invulnerable while right. he's using his powers and like sunspot in this one he's like constantly getting hurt yeah which he should just be dead if he's moving that speed and he can get hurt right sure <laughs> like, right. he should be a splatter on the wall sunspot looked terrible when we first see his powers looked mm. awful then nah, later on uh, sunspot didn't really bother me when he does it again he looks great in the end when he's in the church and he's fighting the bear and he like heats up and turns black and the little energy balls are coming off him and stuff i was like that is great that's a great effect that's exactly how i pictured sunspot why would you do that other shit in the beginning i, I didn't get it all and it, like i don't know they couldn't decide the power levels they couldn't decide what they wanted to do with it it was just a mess it was a mess and it wasn't even terrible. I wish it would have been terrible so I could have laughed at it while I watched it. Instead, I was just like, Ugh. I watched it two in two nights because I got so fucking bored <laughs> the first night. And I was like, all right, I got to finish yeah. this now. I, I mean, <laughs> so this is where I come down. New Mutants is this is the sort of project that we've been here. It's infamous, right? We've right. been hearing all of these things about it for years now. And now that I'm now that I've finally watched it and I'm on the other side of it, I'm like, eh. Yeah, that's just whatever. It. It's it's not even it, it's nowhere near as terrible as I thought it was going to be. Right. But it's far, far from good. And it's and honestly, it's a shame because it is a product of a shitty studio screwing things around and messing with the writers, messing yeah, with the director. Like, uh, like like I can't say that it would have been any better if it had come out as originally envisioned. But I also don't regret watching it. You know, I thought I like I dreaded it. I I thought, oh, I'm gonna hate this. Yeah, and I didn't. I didn't hate it. I didn't feel anything. And honestly, I, I, I didn't felt, hate it. And I found things to like. Had they told this whole story the exact same way, and then the very end, after they get away and they blow the dome off or whatever, they go, oh, and they wake up and they're like, oh shit. I'm in the Xavier school. I am okay. That was all a thing. It was the Shadow King <laughs> or something like that. Just whatever. And put one mutant there to be like, oh, Danny, what's wrong? You know, like, oh, thank God you're here. We can't afford Professor X. So I don't know, kid that played Iceman. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, just like they did in Deadpool. Yes. Where Deadpool shows up at the house and he's like, this is a huge place. And they can only afford one X-Man to show up in the movie. What the hell? You know? <laughs> Like just do something like I mean, that. There, there's a there's a lot of shoulda woulda couldas that right. would have been nice, right? Um, but I, you know, I'm not gonna spend a lot of time dwelling on that because I know that the movie is not what they planned. No, it definitely not. It uh, just they took a lot. But of- judging it, judging it based on what it was, I watched it. I was indifferent to it. Yeah, but I don't regret it, and so I'm giving it a skim it. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm giving it a, a, I'm giving it a leave it just because like, I, again, I felt nothing. If it was truly terrible, I would say, yeah, you got to watch this piece of shit. <laughs> but this is like, you don't need to watch it. There's nothing here. There's nothing to worry about. There's a couple good moments where I said like, hey, that's kind of neat what Magic's doing. But I hated the choices the directors made with that actress. She is very talented, by the way, star of the yeah. Queen's Gambit and an excellent actress. and why they made her do that accent oh my god it was it was pretty appalling it was appalling the accent was pretty bad (laughs) 
We would love to hear what you guys thought of New Mutants if you watched it this week on Cover to Cover. Hit us up, and we'll scream more about it then. Good news is, Marvel has his shit back now. But I think we both agree, Fox should have left these kids alone. Excelsior! Oh. That is it for THN 600. Next week, the Cosmic Long Box is back, and it's got kids on its brain. Gross. Yeah. yeah. We're talking teen teams, kitty teams, groups of super kids, comics starring super plucky super youngsters. Next week, Youths. on the Cosmic Long Box, in honor of the Power Pack returning. And the fucking New Mutants movie. <laughs> Prepare yourself for the 10-year-in-the-making review of New Warriors number one. Oh, boy. Until such time, Joe Patrick, give these nerds a new question of the week. This week's question was submitted by Frank Cirillo via the forums. I was thinking about how the current Tony Stark in Marvel is based very heavily on the portrayal of Robert Downey Jr. as Tony. Before that, I don't remember Iron Man being quite that witty. So with this in mind, how have the comic versions of characters changed because of an actor's brilliant performance or iconic look, for example, Samuel L. Jackson's Nick Fury? So we are talking cinematic influences on the comic book source material. Absolutely. Good and bad. Ones you liked, ones you didn't like. Let's hear about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Right. Please uh, hit us up with question of the week suggestions uh you know we do this every week and it's getting kind of slim cover to cover is back every saturday at 10 30 central standard time live on our facebook page and it's the new home for our nerd news segment so call us at 402-819-4894 or shoot an mp3 of your answers to twoheadednerd at gmail.com and you could be internet famous remember though please try to keep your recorded responses to two minutes or less that we could share the air with all the nerds out there. If you're new to this show and you would rather hear two blonde girls with terrible Russian accents read this script, I assure you, it's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is, you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive over at TwoHeadedNerd.com. But hosting that many episodes, it ain't cheap. So we want to thank donors like Bo Conroy, who I heard a story about just the other day. He put a knee in a gentleman's mouth wants to shut them up because he did not like what they were saying. <laughs> hey, John Luttrell told me that story. And if that's not this bow, I don't care. It is now. Nobody messes with Bo Conroy. No, they do not. With a name like that? No way. Bo Conroy? <laughs> that guy sounds like he's going to whoop your ass. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to the legendary David Prowse the former bodybuilder and iconic man behind the mask of Darth Vader in the original Star Wars trilogy passed away at age 85 late last week due to complications of COVID-19. Word to you, sir, and thanks for scaring the shit out of us when we were kids. Please, friends, wear your masks and stay safe. And by the way, COVID-19 conspiracy theorist, COVID-19 killed Darth Vader. So get over it. It's a real fucking thing. All right. I like uh, what? Uh, what more evidence? Do you Seriously. Need? Until next time, true believers. Remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer, or your retailer who spoke with this big, deep, glorious black voice and hid behind a mask, takes it off to reveal he's just some pudgy, pasty white guy. This is the two-headed nerd signing off. <laughs>